right. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dylan Dylan Show presented by Tunnel Vision Sports. Today is Friday, December 16th. It is officially college football bowl season and basketball season. We have a lot to talk about today. DJ Dylan Jesperson here joined as always by my man, man, DH Dylan Holt. Dylan, how are you doing? I, I'm doing really well, but also kind of bad. My AirPods stopped working, so now I got these wires, and I, it's really, really frustrating. It really sucks. Um, I'm hoping that somehow they'll, it'll be a Christmas miracle and they'll get fixed, but I, I, I'm starting to doubt it that they just won't connect, and it's it's a real downer. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing good other than that. I'm getting in the Christmas spirit. I've been waking up every morning before work, and I've been, like, watching a Christmas movie, and it's just put me in the spirit. I've been listening to Christmas music. Uh, it's just it's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas and look a lot like Christmas, so I'm all about that. And uh, I it feels like I blinked, and now it's, like, bowl season, and college basketball is in the thick of it, and I, I'm, I'm all about it. It's, it's good stuff going on. The NFL's in the playoff race. NBA is – NBA is weird because it's like all of a sudden we're like 20 games in and the Pelicans and Suns hate each other and Zion's throwing down like Mortal Kombat death uh, dunks at the end of games. It's it's awesome. We got lots of things going on. MLB offseason stuff. So much fun stuff going on. So I'm, I'm doing pretty good except for the AirPods. How are you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good as well. Not too much to complain about. Not too much uh going on this week in my neck of the woods uh i'm happy to be here i'm excited to get into the show before we get into the larger and fun part of the show uh we would be remiss if we did not speak on the passing of mississippi state head coach and college football legend mike leach uh leach was an innovator of the sport a unique personality that made college football special he was a two-time national coach of the year winner head coach at texas tech washington state and mississippi state uh and his legacy will leave a lasting mark on the college football landscape Great coach, one-of-a-kind personality. Uh, me and Dylan have talked about him before, but in place of our questions this week, uh, we thought we would honor the man, uh, Mike Leach, and talk about, take some time to remember him, uh, what we thought we, we, what we loved about him and some of our best memories about him. So, Dylan, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, you have anything you wanted to say about Mike Leach, and what were some of your favorite memories of Mike Leach as a coach and as a, a, of a, a guy in college football? I, I thought it was amazing the other night when it came out that Mike Leach was having health complications. I got text from my dad, my stepdad, and my younger brother Hunter. And Mike Leach is never someone that like we spent tons of time talking about. It, it, like he would never come in conversation. None of us are Washington State fans, Texas Tech fans, Mississippi State fans, but we all love football. And it was something that we've all seen the clips of Mike Leach talking or watching games and see Mike Leach talk. We've watched. Washington State, Texas Tech, Mississippi State throughout the years, how much fun those teams are to watch play that were under uh, Mike Leach's coaching and seeing all the just hilarious clips of Mike Leach just not answering questions, going on rants and just like he he he's what everyone loved about college football, kind of the chaos of never knowing what Mike Leach was going to say, not knowing what a Mike Leach team was going to do on the football field. It, it, it was just all time. Just it's, it's who he was. And I, I really thought it was cool. Like, cause like I said, I, I had never like sat down like at any point and been like, Hey dad, what do you think about Mike Leach? Hey Scott, what do you think about Mike Leach? Hunter? What do you think about Mike Leach? But as soon as it came out that he was having health complications, Everyone wanted to talk about that. Man, this really sucks. I hate this. He's one of the good ones. And I don't even think that's the best way. He's one of the great ones. And there's been lots of talks since his passing that Mike Leach isn't eligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. And I hate that. 
I, I didn't know that the, the the minimum winning percentage was 60%, which makes sense. But then you look at Mike Leach's career winning percentage is 59.6%. I took a few rounding classes. I, I help in an elementary school a lot. I, I help with rounding. You round that up, that's 60%. And I think it's a disservice to the sport of football, uh, not just football, college football. And um, to not have Mike Leach enshrined in the Hall of Fame is ridiculous. I think anyone that has watched college football for the past two decades, three decades can agree with that because he's had such an impact on the game, uh, whether it just be classic all-time football games, classic quotes. And you see it from his coaching tree too, whether it be guys that played under him or coached under him. You got a guy like Josh Heupel, who obviously I, I have a lot of attention on being a Tennessee fan, seeing what Josh Heupel has done with the Mike Leach offense and how he's evolved it. And Mike Leach praised him for doing that, which is really, really cool. Some guys get jealous and Mike Leach is like, no, do your thing, which I think is really cool. And you see guys, I, I know Lincoln Riley is a Mike Leach guy. And you've got, I think it was nine current head coaches in college football are all Mike Leach guys. And I, I just think that's so cool because he took a non-traditional route uh, to get to where he was. And I, like, he was a law student. Like he did things that like, it, it makes no sense. It, like it, his story makes no sense. And that's the best part. Cause that's, that's Mike Leach. It, nothing was supposed to make sense. And that's how he wanted it. And I, I think that's so great. Um, every time, like since, since his passing, there's been tons of clips shared on social media, which is how it should be. And it, I just like, it's a time where you want to be somber and you want to be sad, but it's hard to be when you're watching and you see his clips and you're, it, I just like find myself cracking up. And as soon as I heard the news, I, I shared my favorite uh, my favorite clip of Mike Leach. It's him when he was at Washington State. I don't know the exact year, but um, and a reporter asked him if all the Pac-12 mascots were fighting, who would win? And he broke it down like very analytically, went through all the Pac-12 mascots from the Sun Devil at Arizona State to the Beaver at Oregon State and just was like, this, this is how it would go, I think. And I, I just – that that just sums up his brain. He was the pirate. He was he was all these things. You talk about Bigfoot, sweat, Sasquatch. And he just he never took himself too seriously. And I, I think that's a rare quality in sports, especially college football with college football coaches, because it's such a stressful job. And he, he did a great job of um taking the edge off for himself and I think his program, his players, family. And I, I think it was such a great quality he had. There were so many great games. I, I mentioned the the uh, mascot battle that that will forever I will forever remember that that's one of my favorite things um I can't remember what game it was I think they were playing Oregon when he was at Washington State when Gardner Minshew went crazy they beat Oregon and after the game Gardner Minshew put the little fake mustache on him that was amazing that's an all-time moment for Washington State for I, I think college football in the last 10 years because it was a huge game in the Pac-12 that year I think it was one year two years before he left to go to Mississippi State his first game in the SEC him and KJ Costello, it was obviously his system. KJ Costello went out there and broke the SEC single game passing record in his first game against the defending national champion LSU Tigers. Like just incredible stuff, the impact he had on uh, these different conferences, whether it be the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, and everywhere in between. I, I just think he was incredible. And I, I just, I think it's really cool because like no one, like every day, every, Everyone wasn't like Mike Leach this, Mike Leach that. But the second we heard he was having a little bit of health trouble, we're like, hey, this is a guy we all love and we, we want to talk about him. We want to send him prayers. And obviously it's absolutely heartbreaking. But I love how everyone's just been able to share stories. And they, they continue to just roll out on social media. And I really, really like because no one has a bad story with him. 
They they really don't. And I, I'm just I, I'm I'm glad that we got to live really through the Mike Leach era. We got to see basically his whole head coaching career, and I wish it would have went on longer. But um, I, I yeah, I, I'm really really glad I got to experience it, and I, I think that's what I come away from because he's an all time college football personality, college football coach, and I, I hate that we'll never get to see Mike Leach just the personality because he he would have retired one day if obviously the tragedy hadn't happened and he would have been on ESPN or Fox and it would have been the most hysteric thing ever, which, which sucks to think about, but we got to remember the good times. I think that, I think that's what Mike Leach would want. I really do. My, my stepdad asked me, he was like, do you think Mississippi State will play in the bowl game? And I was like, I think so. I was like, I don't know Mike Leach personally, but I, I've, Mike Leach is one of those college football guys that you feel like, you know, because he's very real. And it feels like Mike Leach would have wanted them to play in this game, and Mississippi State said they will. And I, it just feels right. It feels like what he would have wanted. And I, I feel like everyone, I think they play on January 2nd. I I feel for Illinois because I think everyone's going to be rooting for Mississippi State that day, and I think they should. I, I think everybody will be raising a, a fake cowbell in the air for the first time ever and rooting for the dogs because I it's hard not to root for that team with what they've gone through. And it, you're going to be rooting for coach Leach that day. And I, I, I can't wait for it. I, I hate that this has happened, but um, it's nice to remember the man and remember the career and remember the impact. And it's going to be interesting to see how his legacy lives out through these players and coaches that have uh, come from the street. Yeah. I, yeah. I recognize my thoughts on old coach Leach. How, what are your thoughts and uh, your memories of coach Leach? There was a great interview I saw. I think ESPN put it out. Uh, obviously, they'd put it out well before, but it was matched in with a bunch of Mike Leach moments. Uh, and it was just, it, it was a very candid question asking uh, with the, obviously, the news. It was just like, uh, I forget who was interviewing. It was like, Mike, what, what would you want your obituary to say if someone were writing it? And the most Mike Leach answer is, what do I care? I'm dead. Uh, that's and I think that sums up what Mike Leach's personality was. What makes him so likable and so relatable in that way it was just like he he spoke his mind, and he just was one of the guys that just was so unfiltered and so personal, so him that it just was so refreshing as as people that watch a sport that can be sometimes so inauthentic for a guy to be as authentic as he was, was a uh, very, very cool. And, and it showed not just in his personality, but the way he coached teams. I mean, we've talked about it throughout this podcast about the offensive kind of Renaissance that college football has gone on. And a lot of people want to give that credit to like Chip Kelly and urban Meyer. The passing game offense is really Mike Leach and those guys that renovated this air raid system that he was doing back in 2005 to 2007 with uh, Texas Tech and Michael Crabtree and Graham Harrell and, and those guys. So uh, I, we have to give, uh, you know, it's I think even if they don't round up his winning percentage, they should give him an honorary spot in the College Football Hall of Fame just because of the impact that he's made. I mean you can argue the offenses that are being run throughout football into pro all the way down to high school and like youth football. And this is, is all based on what Mike Leach was able to do and innovate into the game. So uh, I think that's some, he was a great coach. Uh, you talked about some of the great things that mascot uh, battle talk that he had just going through each one specifically. And it's, I think it's great because he's the one coach that, that took every question seriously that it didn't matter what question you, if you were going to ask him what mascot would win the Pac-12 battle, well, he's going to take it 
as seriously as he can really think about that. And he made great points when he was bringing up those mascots. I mean, what happens if the Ute gets a, a rifle? Like, does that change things? Uh, is the duck just going to fly away? Does that disqualify them? Uh, what does it take to kill a sun devil? What black magic does it? I mean, those are, those are great things that, like, even – even as like dumb guys like us who have had those conversations millions of times, like Mike Leach is even great at those conversations. Uh, he has identical takes to me on Bigfoot and aliens. Like I think Bigfoot probably isn't real, but like dinosaur bone because we found dinosaur bones and we haven't found Bigfoot bones. That makes sense. That's and aliens are probably real. I don't know if they're really little green men. That's Mike Leach's take to a T, and that's like great t- content that Joe wrote for like a Joe Rogan podcast, but not behind a podium being asked questions from writers on the, from a college football coach. It's what made him so unique. You don't expect a power five college football coach to teach a course at Washington state called insurgent warfare and football strategies. But like when it was announced that Mike Leach was doing it, it was like, okay, that makes sense. That's who Mike Leach is. Uh, I think the big two moments for me, you, you mentioned one, the, the fake mustache moment with Gardner Minshew, whenever they, whatever game that was, and the Texas Tech win over Texas, the Crabtree win, because uh, both of those, I think, signified both him as a coach and as, uh, as a guy, because, you know, you get a big win, and, and you can make it all about yourself, and you can make it all about, like, what you've built the program to be, but I think in both those moments, it was like, no, it's about the players and the plays that they made. It's about Gardner Minshew and what he's been able to be for Washington state. It's about Michael Crabtree and Graham Harrell and what they've made Texas tech. You never, when Mike Leach's teams were good, it was like, because it was, we gave Mike Leach his credit, but it was never because of Mike Leach. And I, and I think in times it was a disservice to him, but it's at the same time, I think that's what Mike Leach wanted. And I think that's what I think he was almost, an expert at doing that was taking himself out of it, making himself almost into a cartoon character where we loved him so much and making the football about the guys on the field. And I think uh, that's what Mike Leach uh, maybe won't be remembered before. We will probably remember him for the funny moments that we all obviously will live on for, for forever. But I, I think I'll always remember just, he was a great football coach and I think he did a lot of, and didn't get enough credit for, all of the things he did well, not just as a strategic a strategy guy, but as a full-time football coach and what he meant to his players. And I think a lot of guys, uh, uh, I, me included, are going to miss what he brought to the college football because, like, like we've said, I think like uh, many people have said throughout this week, uh, he was one of a kind and, and there's never going to be another Mike Leach. So uh, thoughts out to Mike Leach, thoughts out to the Mississippi State program. Uh, I think – in terms of them playing, I think it's the same as how he answered that obituary question. Like, who, how, how, I'm dead. What do I care? You know, you do what you do, what you guys have to do. Um, but, you know, it's really, you know, I, I feel for them. I feel for the Mike Leach family. It's, it's a tough week for uh, college football fans out there. But uh, at least he, he gave us some great memories to, to live on throughout throughout uh and we'll be able to show our kids and grandkids like look at this this man mike leach was and uh it, you know it sucks that he's gone so soon but uh you know at least he gave us what he gave us uh we're gonna move on to the out of the box draft this week uh last week the heisman trophy was announced caleb williams from usc uh another usc heisman trophy winner uh in the news a little bit two of our guys not invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony got me thinking 
a little bit about the best players in each season to not win a Heisman Trophy, and that is our draft this week. We're going to be drafting the greatest Heisman snubs, the best seasons from guys that didn't win uh, the Heisman Trophy. Pretty straightforward. Uh, I think I've got my Wilma Man killer coin here. I've got a coin here. Yep. Got that thing ready to go, and that's Tails this week. What do you want? I will give you the first pick. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll go ahead and tell you I've got two bias picks, and I'm not picking them first. And I imagine you know one of them. The other one, if you do, fair enough. Uh, my first pick, I'm going to 2015. And I'm going. Derrick Henry won the Heisman that year. Fair enough. Great year. But I think someone else had a better year. I'm going with Stanford running back Christian McCaffrey. He broke Barry Sanders' all-purpose yards record that year, 3,864 all-purpose yards. Absolutely ridiculous season. Uh, He had 2,019 rushing yards, eight touchdowns, 45 receptions, 645 receiving yards, five touchdowns. To throw onto that, 1,070 kick return yards, 130 punt punt return yards, and two touchdowns. Absolutely incredible season. Christian McCaffrey... That sophomore year he had, I believe it was a sophomore year in 2015, was just absolutely electric. Every night it was, what is he going to do now? What? How is he going to set the Pac-12 on fire? It was those nights where, like we talked about Pac-12 after dark. It's like, well, we got to stay up and watch Stanford. And I, my brother would have been, he would have been 15 in 2015. Um, he would text me and be like, man. This is crazy. This guy, like, he shouldn't be this good. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but he is. And then, obviously, we know what Christian McCaffrey's become as one of the best just players in the NFL. And, man, his career's resurged as he's uh, moved to San Francisco this year, which I'm going to get into later. But, yeah, um, Christian McCaffrey is my first pick. I think I I understand why Derrick Henry won that Heisman in 2015 because he was so great. But I think Christian McCaffrey – was just a little bit better that year, which is insane because they're both still so great. So, yeah, I'm going to go with C-Mac, CMC, C-Mac, whatever you call them, with my first pick. Yeah, I, I like that pick. I didn't have CMC down because you could list, like, him and Toby Gerhardt, both, I think, are, like, the same. Like, they both should have won the Heisman that year, and I think they, they fall into that West Coast, uh, you know, kind of like the – we. The voters fall asleep on them. They forget that they're out there because uh, he had a great year. Toby Gerhardt rushed for like 1,800 yards uh, in his uh, senior season at Stanford. So uh, love those Stanford running backs. I think a few of them should have won some. Uh, Moving on, my first pick, uh, I'm going to go all the way back to 1992. Uh, I think a lot of this has to do with uh, the player that they are, but also the person that won it in, in a sense. I've never heard of Gino Toretta who won it in 1992 for Miami. I don't think he really deserved it. But if you heard the season that Marshall Falk had, I definitely think he deserved it. And I don't, this is, a lot of these are going to go back to like the weird Heisman Trophy voting, like standards that they used to have. Like, oh, an underclassman can't win it until they just gave it to Tim Tebow and then that broke the seal. Oh, a freshman can't win it until they did it. Uh, Marshall Falk was one of those guys where if they just would have given it to a sophomore back then, he should have gotten it over Gino Toretta. He ran for 1,630 yards and 15 touchdowns uh, for San Diego State, a team that also didn't have huge uh, – also falls into that West Coast bias, also falls into the non-Power 5 bias. So he had a lot of things working against him, and I think that's one of the big things. It's like he got snubbed for all of the outside reasons. Like, oh, he played for a, a worse team. Oh, he was playing on the West Coast. Oh, he his team didn't do very good. 
And it's like, none of that stuff matters. Give it to the best player in college football. And I think when you look back on that season, Marshall Falk by far was the best running back in the country that year. And I think he was the best player that year. Again, I've never even heard of Gino Toretta, and he was a Heisman winner in the '90s. Like that's not that far uh, removed from what we were listening or from what we watched. So uh, I think Marshall Marshall Falk, obviously, I've heard of, had a great NFL career, uh, and his career at San Diego State was great. So I think he deserved it in 1992. That is my first pick. With my second pick, I'm going back to 2009. Uh, I did just talk about Toby Gerhardt, who was also in that draft or in that Heisman Trophy class, uh, but he is not my pick. It should have been the Dominican Sioux that year. Uh, I love Mark Ingram. Uh, he was from Flint. He's a Michigan native. Uh, obviously had a great career uh, for the Saints for a little bit. Uh, the Dominican Sioux was absolutely a beast at Nebraska. And I think when you talk about single-handedly making a team great, that was the Dominican Sioux. That Nebraska team sucked outside of the Dominican Sioux. There was really nothing to hold your hat on. But the Dominican Sioux had 20 and a half tackles for a loss, 12 sacks, an interception. He blocked three kicks, and he had 24 hurries and an 11 and 11 pass deflections. And if you go back and watch that uh, Big 12 title game uh, against Colt McCoy's Texas team, which was a good team, he had like Jordan Shipley on that team. He like single handedly beat that team. There was just nothing they could do. They couldn't run the ball in the Dominican Sioux, and he had, I, he had multiple sacks on Colt McCoy that game. It was, I, and I think that was one of his block kicks were in that game. Uh, I'm pretty sure in a pretty crucial moment. So uh and Sue was uh, absolutely dominant. I think there's again, there should be way more defensive players that have won the Heisman Trophy. Um, and Nadamikin Sue is one of those ones where I think it's like it's pretty obvious he had a better, he had much a much bigger impact on that Nebraska team than Mark Ingram did on that Alabama team. It's just more Alabama was going to win the national championship. So, and he was the best player on that team. But uh, I'll take Marshall Falk and Adamican Sue. I'll throw it to you for your next two picks. I remember that 2009 Heisman campaign a lot more than 92 with Marshall Falk, obviously. And I remember I was like, man, I was like, this would be really cool because obviously I'm a guy like playing defensive tackle. I'm like, that would be really neat. What and Adamican Sue went in again. And I was really, really rooting for it. And obviously it didn't happen. And that was like, I was kind of like finally understanding like, why Tennessee hates Alabama because the dynasty was really getting going. That was the beginning of it with uh, Mark Ingram. And I remember what Mark Ingram did to Tennessee that year. And I was like, man, I really hate this guy. And I was really, really rooting for the Dominican suit and obviously it didn't happen. But I was, I, I like the Texas game, Nebraska played Texas that year and the Dominican suit dominated. I was like, yeah, that's the best player in college football. But obviously the, the Heisman doesn't go to the best player in college football. Spoiler alert. They just say it does. It's, the Heisman's the weirdest award in sports, uh, but yeah, I, I like both those picks a lot. I didn't I didn't know about the Marshall Falk Heisman uh, lore and how he was snubbed until today. I, I was doing a little research. I had my I had my players. I was like, I'm gonna look up, make sure I'm like not any glaring mitch um, omissions. And Marshall Falk is one I learned about, and he was on my list, but you took him, so I can't take him now, uh, which is okay. Well, that, that's a good pick. With my next pick, I'm going with the guy that I have always loved. And I loved him more uh, for what he did in the NFL than college because I was a little young when he was having his breakout should have been Heisman season in college. I'm going back to 2003, the University of Pittsburgh, Larry Fitzgerald. I think Larry Fitzgerald should have won the Heisman Trophy after looking at his stats and knowing who won the Heisman that year. Jason White won the Heisman at Oklahoma because Oklahoma was the best team and Oklahoma was going to win the national championship. And I I hate those standards. I I really don't like it. You went into it, the Marshall Falk Heisman. I don't like that. And, and the Mark Ingram. 
I, I just I don't like those standards one bit. I think it should go to the absolute best player. And Larry Fitzgerald was the best player. You look at his stats. Remember, this is 2003. 92 catches, 1,672 yards, 22 touchdowns. For a wide receiver in the year 2003, that's stupid. His quarterback was like Rod Randolph or something. Some dude I've never heard of. That sounds like a generated name on NCAA football. And he got Larry Fitzgerald still caught 92 catches, 92 balls, 1,672 yards and 22 touchdowns. Ridiculous. And I, I just, for for comparison's sake, Devonta Smith won the Heisman in 2020 at wide receiver, which was an amazing feat. It, it'll be remembered forever. It's, it's like he won it as a receiver. Comparing Larry's season to Devonta's, uh, Devonta had 117 catches, 1,856 yards, 23 touchdowns, throw on a, a rushing touchdown. Their seasons are kind of like pretty close, similar. Like Obviously, Devonta had quite a few more catches. He also played in a much different offense with an NFL quarterback and like the best team ever. Um, that Alabama team was crazy. So I, it's a little bit different. Like the, they threw more in 2020. Obviously, I, I think Larry Fitzgerald, his stats, those numbers look like 2022 numbers, not 2003 numbers. So I, I think Larry definitely qualified and should have won the Heisman. I get like Pitt went like eight and five that year. Who cares? Like it doesn't matter. I it's just that they think oh, the Oklahoma good. Jason White get Heisman. I, I don't like those arguments, but it is what it is. That that's what happened. My next pick. Uh, this, this is getting into my bias territory, and I have to imagine you know where I'm going. I'm going 1997, Peyton Manning. Uh, Charles Woodson won it, Michigan defensive back. Michigan went on to win the national championship, but not the same territory as um, Jason White from Oklahoma. Charles Woodson was very, very good. Charles Woodson was definitely deserving. It was a case of two great players, more more akin to my first pick, Christian McCaffrey. It's like you got Christian McCaffrey, you got Derrick Henry. What do you do? And they, they decided to go with the defensive player in Charles Woodson, which it's hard. It's it's hard to disagree with that. But at the same time, it's like it's Peyton freaking Manning. And I have to ride for Peyton. I, I've been taught from a young age. like, And as, as I've got older, I'm like, OK, I can understand how Charles Woodson. But I've been taught from a young age that 97 Heisman should have been Peyton's. And I, I mean, if it had been any other year and he hadn't been up against Charles, he probably wins it. 287 out of 477 passes, 60 percent. Almost 4,000 yards, 3,819, 36 touchdowns. Really, really good for 1997. That, that That's big-time numbers uh, for back in the 90s. And, I mean, he just – Peyton had bad luck. He came back for his senior year to win a national championship at the Heisman. Didn't get it either. And that's the two glaring holes in his college resume. That was absolutely incredible. Didn't get it done, and it just sucks. But, yeah, Peyton, I think he's one of the all-time Heisman stubs because he just – had bad luck in college. Yeah, I, hard to disagree with either of those. Obviously, from coming from a Michigan fan's perspective, I think you know we think that Charles Woodson deserved it. it, it it's just also from a college football fan's perspective, it's also interesting because we talk about all these like, oh, a quarterback ends up winning it most of the time. The the guy that's going to win the national championship. There's usually some outside reasoning for a guy winning it uh, over the the actual best player. And it seemed like this year was the only time where they were like, all right, we're going to throw all those things out the window and just try to compare the two players. And some people liked Charles more than they liked Peyton that year, which was, I wish every year was like that. It seems like 1997 was the only year they decided to actually do that, but uh, I'll, I'll take it in in terms of that, but love both those picks Uh, with my final pick. Yeah. I've only got one more pick, right? Oh, I've got two picks. Yeah. I've got, 
I'm an idiot. Uh, I'm going to go back to 2004, uh, the year after 2003. Uh, I wish Jason White didn't win it in 2003 because in two, it made it harder for Adrian Peterson to win it in 2004, who I think was the actual deserving player in 2004 over Matt Leiner. Uh, uh, we're getting to the point where, yeah, I think Matt Leiner was also a bit deserving. He had a great season. They went on to win a national championship. Uh, obviously, those US teams, USC teams were great, but I think... Adrian Peterson would have gotten a bit more look, one, if he wasn't a freshman that year, two, if Jason White didn't win the Heisman Trophy the year before, uh, and three, if Jason White wasn't still there. Like, there was a Heisman Trophy winner literally still on his team, still playing really well, uh, and ended up finishing third right behind him, took a bunch of his first-place votes away. Uh, But Adrian Peterson almost ran for 2,000 yards as a freshman. 19, uh, 19, 25 yards and 15 touchdowns on a really good Oklahoma team that went to the national championship game that year. Uh, and I think that's a bigger, uh, I think the biggest thing is that he had a Heisman Trophy winner literally right next to him, taking snaps and handing it to him. Uh, he was a Heisman Trophy candidate, but I don't think, I think we can all agree that Jason White is one of the least talented Heisman winners we've ever seen. He just was on a really good couple of Oklahoma teams. Whereas Adrian Peterson was actually talented, and we've seen what he was able to do past that freshman season and into the NFL. So I, I think Adrian Peterson, uh, along with Peyton Manning, guys like Darren McFadden, are guys that won't – their college legacy won't live up to their NFL legacy, which is stupid because their college legacy should be up. To, it's just these arbitrary, like, oh, they didn't win a Heisman. Oh, they didn't win a national championship. Like – Adrian Peterson should have won a Heisman in 2004. I really do think that that he should have won that one. I don't think Matt Leiner was all that has entails above uh, him there. And I think if Johnny Manziel won it as a freshman back then, uh, I think he gets more first-place votes. Because literally, like, he finished second in that Heisman voting and got less first-place votes than Jason White, his quarterback. So he would have been, like, if you just take Jason White out of the equation uh, and give him more first-place votes, I think it's a really good uh, he'd give him a really good chance. So uh, it's tough. It sucks. Um, moving on to my last one, going on I, another one uh, in that early mid 2000s era. I'm going 2005, and this is another one in line with like, what are you going to do? Uh, it's Vince Young. The only reason I got to put him on there is because he's the greatest, I think, maybe the greatest college player of all time. Vince Young, I think if you put him on any college football team as your quarterback, you're going to be doing a lot of great things. The only problem is is he's going up against Reggie Bush, and it's hard to say Reggie Bush didn't deserve the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Even back then, as a young college football fan, I was arguing Reggie Bush deserved it over Vince Young. Now, Vince Young went on to win the national championship, and I think if the Heisman Trophy was decided after the national championship game, I think voters would have given it to Vince Young. Uh, not to say that that's the right thing to do. I do think it was the right thing to do now just because Vince Young was so good. I mean, Vince Young threw for 3,000 yards and ran for 1,000 yards that year. He had like over 30 touchdowns uh, as a quarterback. He was the true spread offense quarterback before anyone else was and and doing what he was able to do. So uh, I think Vince Young, just because it sucks that one of the best college football players ever won't have that trophy on his mantle. And Reggie Bush had to give us Heisman back. And at the end of the day, I don't think that was, I don't think that was justified either, but uh, if there's anyone that deserves a Heisman trophy, uh, Vince Young definitely did. I just, it just sucks that, you know, Reggie Bush had his amazing season in the same year, but uh, add Vince Young, uh, add Adrian Peterson. I'll throw it to you for your uh, final picks. I like both those picks a lot. I, 
man, I wonder what history would be like if Vince Young had won that Heisman instead of Reggie. Like how that changes things. I don't. I don't know. That would be an interesting. Like what if? Like Marvel makes those what ifs now. Like doing like a college ball. What if? What if? Vince Young wins the 2005 Heisman, or what if Adrian Peterson wins the 04 Heisman? That would be interesting scenarios how history plays out. Uh, with my last pick, I'm I'm not going to the mid 2000s. Uh, I could have made a perfect sweep gone for 06. I don't know who won those six Heisman. It was probably I don't know, probably deserving. Troy um, Smith. I was thinking it was Troy Smith, but I didn't want to speak out out of my butt. Um, I'm going back a long time ago, back to 1956, and I, I talked about Peyton. We talked about before we started uh, our guys, Blake Quorum and Hendon hooker got snubbed from even going to New York. Um, I'm going to the OG snub for Tennessee back in 1956, Tennessee running back Johnny majors should have won the Heisman and he just got snubbed. There's no if, and, or, but about it. Uh, the award went to Paul Horning, which obviously the Horning award is named after him, but I, I I'm okay with like Larry Fitzgerald's team at Pitt went eight and five. Like you can still like understand that Notre Dame went two and eight that year. Like that's like a bit of a stretch to still be like, yep, you went two and eight, but here's the trophy. Like if that was like the whole legacy of the award, it's like, it doesn't matter how your team does. Sure. That's not the whole legacy of the award. It very much matters how your team does. Tennessee was good in the fifties. Notre Dame went two and eight that year. Johnny majors did not win the Heisman. Johnny Major's stats like aren't eye popping. He had like, I think it was like 600 or 700 yards, nine touchdowns. Offense wasn't the same. The numbers, they don't make sense to us like they would back then. But from everything I've heard from old school Tennessee fans and old school college football historians, Johnny Majors was the OG Johnny football. The things he did on the field, people were like, whoa, this guy's different. This guy is special. And he had a legendary career at Tennessee that should have been capped off with the 1956 Heisman Trophy. Went on to become a legendary head coach of both Pittsburgh and Tennessee. And it's a real shame that he died um, during COVID uh, two years ago. It's a shame that as part of his obituary, part of that uh, legacy, he didn't get to have the Heisman Trophy on top of it. And it's just a real, real shame. I know Paul Horning is a legendary basketball figure. So is Johnny Majors. Paul Horning has an award named after him and all these things. Johnny Major should have got that Heisman trophy. And that, that's just something like, I, I know like not the, the wide college football audience probably doesn't know about the 1956 Heisman trophy as a Tennessee fan. You, you learned about it very quickly and it's become really very relevant in the past couple of weeks with Hendon not getting invited this year. The Peyton stuff in 97, a little more understanding in 97, as we've talked about Charles Woodson, really, really good football player. And then 56, Johnny Majors just got screwed. I understand Paul Horning was good, but that was Johnny Majors' award. So, yeah, I, I got Johnny Majors going along with Peyton, Larry Fitz, and C-Mac. Uh, did you have any alternates? Yeah, I'm just looking back quickly at these old Heisman winners from that time, and I love – because I love the names back then because you, you think as, high, as college football fans you know most of the Heisman Trophy winners, but then you get back to, like, the 50s and 60s, and you're like, oh, God, like John David Crow. Never heard of, never heard of John David Crow, uh, Jim Brown. Obviously, I've heard of, but Howard Cassidy. Like I'm, man, never heard of these guys. Uh, I did have some honorable mentions. Uh, as much as I don't like giving Ohio State credit, uh, C.J. Stroud the past two years, I think it could be considered a Heisman snub. He threw for four thousand four hundred thirty-five yards last year. I think I kind of just wrote him off after Michigan beat him last year. He threw for four thousand yards and forty-four touchdowns compared to like six picks. That's a really good season, and I know Bryce Young deserved it last year, but I do think though 
we're going to look back on these two years from CJ Stroud and be like, man, Michigan really cost him a Heisman Trophy by beating him twice. Uh, Eric Bieniemy, Colorado, 1990, 16,000 or 1,600 yards, uh, 17 touchdowns. Larry Fitzgerald was on there, and I threw Blake Corum on there, 1,400 yards, 18 touchdowns in just 11 games. Uh, give him two more games, he might have been able to to outdo Mr. Caleb Williams. But any uh, honorable mentions that didn't make your list? Um, I had Marshall Falk. I had Vince Young, Adrian Peterson. I had OJ Simpson back in 1967. He should have he should have won two Heisman's. And man, oh man, what, talk about what ifs. What if OJ Simpson was a two time Heisman winner? What would that look like? That'd be crazy. Um, <laughs> that would be something. We've we've got the one two time winner. If OJ was the other, woo! At least he won one. Like at least we can't like look back on that and be like, well, he didn't ever win a Heisman Trophy. It's like, like we can just give him his Heisman and and move on. <laughs> but he deserved to. I, I really think he did. I was looking at the stats. I was like, wow, OJ was him. Like if Twitter was around, it would just be like the juice is him. Like that that would be all the tweets. But I'm not gonna talk about OJ too much. That that's all the guys I had. Obviously, Hendon. Um, I had Tyler Bray on there as a joke because Tyler Bray was my favorite player growing up. But Tennessee was really really bad back then. Yeah, Michigan's had two Heisman finalists since I've been kind of really, really watching with Jabril and Aiden Hutchinson last year. And I didn't even think about putting them on there because those were both really like PR campaign Heismans. Like Jabril, talent, yes. Jabril, talent-wise, was there with anyone. He didn't have any stats that would put you up there. He was like a very average linebacker that year. Um, And then Aiden, he was great, but like, statistically it's not like a national player of the year type guy so uh didn't even think about those two guys but love them all the same we're gonna move on to this week in sports uh i don't have a ton to get into so i'll throw it to you first uh anything you're oh, oh i forgot we're trying a new format this week uh so dylan's gonna get into it first he'll throw it to me we're gonna try to bounce it back and forth this week so dylan starting with whatever you want to get into first i'm gonna talk some balls because i i didn't put out an episode talking about not a lot to talk about before the orange bowl get a preview the orange bowl coming up that's a little teaser but um jalen hyatt he won the Blitnikoff Award. And, hey, all you Ohio State fans, all you uh, um, casual college football fans, he deserved it. I understand Marvin Harrison Jr. is him. He's awesome. His dad's freaking Marvin Harrison. Like, duh, he's awesome. He's got the best genes a wide receiver could. But Jalen Hyatt was incredible this year, and you just weren't paying attention. 15 touchdowns, five of them boys came against Alabama. And I, I know Alabama's secondary wasn't all that good. It was still full of five stars. It was still full of a first-team All-American and Kool-Aid McKinstry. I mean, that's incredible, the things Jalen Hyatt was able to do. And the fact that he's considering coming back to school amazes me. I, I If I was Jalen Hyatt, I'd have my deuces up red, going to the NFL. Like I, You've got all the momentum in the world. Uh, but if he wants to come back, I'm all for it. I, I'd be more than pleased with that. Uh, so uh, Jalen Hyatt, very, very happy for him when uh, the coffee very much deserves it. He was the best receiver this year, and I understand people want to argue for Marvin Harrison Jr. Give him time. He'll He's going to have a great career. And then I have one more Tennessee thing, and then I'm going to throw it to you. A Tennessee baby was born. A Tennessee fan's baby was born this week. They're from Arkansas, I believe, is what I read on the Twitter. And they named it Hendon. And it got me thinking, how great of a player do you have to be to have a baby named after you? Like, that's an incredible feat. And I was thinking, like, I don't know how many, like, in the last, like, 10 years, how many babies have been born named after a Tennessee football player. It can't be many. And then this year, there's going to be a ton 
of baby Hindens, baby Jalen's. I hope there's a baby Bruce sprinkled in there. Or like they could mix it up. Like they could name it like a baby Hyatt, a baby McCoy. I hope to God there's no baby hookers. That would be just terrible. That that would not be good. Uh, but I, I just I think it's interesting, an interesting uh, concept. How great you have to be to have a baby named after you. It got me thinking. But yeah, that, I'll throw it to you. That that's all I got for Tennessee stuff. Uh, I'm gonna quickly piggyback on the Ohio State ragging just a little bit because I just just because I can. Uh, there was the there was the picture that went out after Marvin Harrison didn't win the award. I think it was Zach Harrison posted. It was like, oh, you made him a, a monster. You might have made a monster out of Marvin Harrison this year. Uh, and one of the big Michigan Twitter guys just quoted it and was like, oh, does he play defense? Uh, it's this like broken thing that happened with Penn State and Ohio State after Michigan beat the crap out of them. I think most people can see that Ohio State's problem is not on the offensive side of the ball. They don't have, like, yeah, they settled for field goals, but it's not, that's not the problem. CJ Stroud threw for 300 yards against us. That defense is trash. And the fact that they keep like, oh, well, what if we had Jackson Smith and Jigba? Like, oh, what if, Mar-? like, dude, you guys have, Emeka Buka was a five-star, number one in his class. Julian Fleming, five-star, number one in his class. You're not missing you're, what you're missing is on the defensive side of the ball, flat out. And the fact that like they can't figure that out, it, it makes me think Ohio State's a little bit farther away from figuring out what's wrong with them than they think they are. Because it's like, oh, if you think you need like C.J. Stroud not running the ball is the problem, then you're you're so lost on what is wrong with your football team. The fact that you're worried about Marvin Harrison winning a Bolitnikoff, it's like who cares? Win a win an actual football game. So that's. Quickly on Ohio State fans, because that it was getting on my mind. Uh, in the same vein of that, uh, before I throw it back to you, uh, I wanted to congratulate some people. Caleb Williams on winning the Heisman Trophy. I said that earlier. All the All-Americans and award winners from last week, including Blake Corum, who this week became Michigan's first consensus All-American running back since 1947. That's a long time, and a lot of Michigan, really, really good Michigan running backs to come through. So congrats to Blake Corum. Awesome year. Uh, wish you could have stayed healthy. And, hey, if you uh, think that knee's not ready to go for the NFL draft, why don't you come back next year? Have that uh, Corum-Donnie uh, backfield for uh, uh, another year and see if we can't run it back. But what do you got next? So the NBA – they renamed their awards. And I don't know if you saw this, but it like, kind of blew my mind. Or they didn't rename their awards. They they named the trophies that go along with them. You still have the MVP. That's the Michael Jordan Trophy. You have the Defensive Player of the Year. That's the Hakeem Olajuwon Trophy. Rookie of the Year, the Wilt Chamberlain Trophy. Sixth Man of the Year, the John Havlicek Trophy. The Most Improved Player, the George Mikan Trophy. Then there's a new award, the Clutch Player of the Year Award, the Jerry West Trophy. You and I have been very like, the NBA gets it right a lot of the time. I don't think this was a good move. I don't know about you, but I'm just not crazy about it. Because as we move forward, like John Havlicek, great player. The sixth man of the year should not be named the John Havlicek Award. It should be the Lou Will Award or the Jamal Crawford Award or the Manu Ginobili Award. And like as we go on, like Jerry West, no doubt, deserves an award named after him. The Clutch Player of the Year should be the Damian Lillard Award. Like that's the first player that comes to my mind, Dame, I imagine, will be the clutch player of the year until he retires, unless something tragically happens to his clutchness ability. So I think the NBA, like, they might have dropped the ball here because they obviously they can't name it after current players. Just don't name them. I, I think that's what it comes down to. You get yourself in a pickle there. But I I think it's an interesting move by the NBA. But, yeah, the, the NBA renamed their awards, and I'm going back to you. Uh, quickly on that, speaking of Jamal Crawford, he had a great idea, which was, hey, while you're renaming things, let's make Kobe Bryant the NBA logo. I think that would 
balance everything out uh, in terms of that. So uh, I'm totally on board with that. Uh, how about the Detroit Lions? Uh, two, I think now three weeks in a row that I'm dedicating this week in sports time to the Detroit Lions. A few weeks ago, I was talking about the Hawkinson trade, thinking we were going to give up on Dan Campbell. Uh, since then, they've just kept winning. And, and for me, this is this is what fun football is. This is when I talk about how it's hard to get in the NFL and it's how it's hard to attach myself to the Detroit Lions, even when they're fun. Because uh, it's not fun to me when they lose games. This is fun. Watching them go out and beat the hell out of a Jacksonville Jaguars team. that I think even even though they're not very good, but they have some good talent. Trevor Lawrence is a good quarterback. Uh, and then obviously the Vikings and what they've been doing this year, I think a lot of people think they're frauds and me included, but the Lions don't beat teams that are 10 and 2 usually they just don't it doesn't matter who who that team is the lions are going to lose that game more times than not but not this lions team and i think that's really really fun to watch uh, it's the first time since maybe i was a literal child that i have positive feelings towards this team going into the next season like hey i actually think we could build on what we've got here i think we've got some solid pieces jeff okuda has turned into like a really solid corner Jamison Williams comes off of the IR and immediately catches a touchdown like those are things that have never happened since me being a Lions fan so I'm really excited about the direction they're taking all that being said I know like the playoff hype is getting really I don't there's so much that the Lions need to have happen in front of them to make the playoffs and I'm not saying our luck is going to completely change all all overnight and things are going to happen positive for us outside of that but I just think like this, we've taken the steps. I, I think I'll be happy regardless of what happens down the stretch this year. We've taken the steps that I was looking for from this this Dan Campbell led Lions team this year, which is I I don't think I've ever said that about a Lions team. It's like they've taken positive steps forward. That's a that's a new that's a new high for me as a Lions fan. So I'm really excited to see what we can do in the draft with the Rams pick getting as valuable as it has been. We're in a good spot. I I, I can't believe to say the Lions are in a good spot. Uh. It's amazing to me. I'll throw it to you for what you got next. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to do like, I wanted to run through like a few teams and the Lions were one of them. I found myself on Sunday. I usually watch the Titans game because, you know, I am a Titans fan. I turned the Titans game off on Sunday to watch the Detroit Lions because they're so much fun. And I found myself, I was like, this team's just fun. Like, I remember like not long ago, it was like the Lions were miserable to watch. You just wanted to see them win and it just wouldn't happen. And now it's like, whoa, they're competent. What is going on? It's really, really, it's a neat turnaround. Um, but like I was saying, I turned the Titans game off because they suck. And I've been trying to tell my friends, they're like, hey, the Titans, they have this good record. Like, you guys are good. I'm like, calm down. We are frauds. Capital F frauds. We beat a bunch of bad teams. And it's really catching up to us now. We obviously missed Traylon Burks last week. He's he's emerged huge and like he played like two games and was huge for us. Man, we missed him a ton. The Jaguars absolutely put a beating on the Titans. 36-22. The score is way closer than it was. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I think it was his coming out party. I know he's been better this year, but 30 of 42, 368 yards and three touchdowns against what's considered a good Titans defense. I mean, Hats off to Trevor. I, I think he's the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, they've improved so much this year. And it was one of the Jaguars safeties. They're like, this is Trevor Lawrence's rookie year. Last year doesn't count because I read Meyer. And I was like, fair enough. Uh, and he, he looks like he's really starting to put together, which he didn't have last year. So hats off to him. I'm happy for him. I, I don't like the Jaguars, but it's nice to see them 
uh, actually looking like a football team. There's a lot of teams that are like starting to get together. And then the Baker, Baker actually did something. It seems like he's maybe getting himself back on the rail. So happy for Baker. The 49ers and Eagles look like the best teams in the NFL. And I don't think it's really close. They, they looked so dominant last weekend. And then I just want to get a jab at the Browns. Uh, you brought in Deshaun Watson and you've got significantly worse, like significantly worse on offense. And that's just karma. And that that's all I got in the NFL. Do you have anything else on this week in sports? Yeah. My last stuff, I'm going to cover the world cup stuff. Uh, Rest in peace to Grant Wall, American journalist that uh, tragically passed away over there covering the World Cup. He saw a lot of great things I didn't realize. Uh, obviously, I just like kind of associated him with soccer since he's been over there. But he, he did some really good stuff for Sports Illustrated throughout his career. So uh, thoughts are with him as well and his family. Uh, congrats to Lionel Messi in Argentina. I think a guy that's been written off, kind of, even though he's the goat of soccer, I think this year nobody really thought – Argentina really had much of a chance and now uh it's it, to if you're listening today uh France and Morocco play at two o'clock uh, I believe France will be able to get that done Morocco has been an awesome story but I think Mbappe will be able to get that done so now we get a Messi versus Mbappe World Cup final most likely that's going to be a lot of fun to watch I'm actually as a as a guy that's really not into soccer really hasn't been that tuned in uh, that would be a lot of fun to to watch. So um, the World Cup, I think, in general, and FIFA is probably rooting for that as well because that is going to be a must-see TV. Uh, do, do you have anything else on this week in sports? I don't, but I just want to say I did pick Argentina to win because FIFA simulated and they had Argentina winning it. So not to toot my own horn. <laughs> well, everyone but one person, at least uh, – well, our podcast had the Argentina pick right. Uh, we're going to move on to picks this week. Uh, we're going to be getting out our bowl pick'em stuff like last year, so we'll get you details on that on social media soon. But we'll give you three of our picks uh, for this weekend as the games get started. Uh, we're going to get the Cure Bowl between UTSA and Troy, the Fenway Bowl between Cincy and Louisville, and the Vegas Bowl between Florida and Oregon State. Uh, we will start with the Cure Bowl. We've got the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio and the Trojans of Troy. Who are you liking that one, DH? This is a fun one. You got number 25 UTSA who went 11 and 2 against number 24 Troy, who went 11 and 2. They're playing Friday afternoon. Troy lost week one at Ole Miss 10 to 28. Pretty good loss, like not a bad loss at all. And then week three, they went to App State, which I think everyone remembers that game. I, I believe game day was there. They lost on a Hail Mary. And that's the last time they've lost. They've rattled off 10 straight wins, including a uh, 45 to 26 win over Coastal Carolina in the Sunbelt Championship game. UTSA is scary similar. They lost an OT week one against Houston. And then week three, they lost 41 to 20 against Texas. Then they rattled off 10 straight wins and had a 20 point win in their conference championship game, Conference USA against Northern Texas or North Texas, excuse me. So very, very similar roads they've went on. They both played Army. They both won tight games against Army. These teams are so similar. I, I think this game is so hard to pick because they are just they're, – they're both hot as ever. They both won their conference championships. I think it's going to be an incredible game. I hate that this game is on Friday afternoon. I wish they would have put it at like a primetime spot because these are two small schools – that I think it's going to be an incredible game. I really do. Uh, 24-7 sports, which I, I think 24-7 does a great job. They, like, rank the bowl games on, like, which ones are going to be the best to watch. This was number two. And it's like, the more you look at it, it's like, yeah, I, I think this really is going to be a great bowl game. It's hard to pick it. I'm going to go with UTSA. 
this UTSA was really good last year, so they've got the carried on success. Jeff Trailer's a great coach. I, I think the things they do, uh, the the quarterback Frank Harris, I believe is his name, uh, does a great job, and I I think the Roadrunners get it done. But yeah, I wouldn't be shocked either way because they're both just so hot. Ten straight wins, conference champions. I, I think it's gonna be a really really well played football game. So yeah, I'm gonna go with the Roadrunners. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for this one as well. I feel like this is the. The way they set these bowl games up, there's always one game to start. That is, it's usually like a day game on Friday, like it is in this one, and, and it's it is one of the bigger, uh, like the the most well matched up. I, I can't remember who it was. It was in it was Memphis and another team. I may have been Wake Forest or whatever. Uh, me and my cousin and my brother were watching it on like a Tuesday. And it was one of the best games I've ever seen. I, I Memphis hit like a 60-yard field goal as time expired to send it into overtime. It was nuts. And I feel like they've been doing a good job of setting these games up. Uh, games that you of teams that you haven't seen but are really fun to watch and provide for good matchups. And this is a, a, a perfect uh, example of that. You, you detailed it really well. I wanted to go with UTSA because I, I talked about – UTSA when they played Houston earlier in the year I really like that quarterback Frank Harris uh, I think in a game as close as this one is I really just need to pick opposite of you to get back into the standings uh, so I do like the Troy Trojans and I do like their defense and I, I talked about it this year uh, I think offense was winning the day for a long time we've kind of gone through a little bit more of a defensive renaissance in the past couple of years Troy's defense is really good and I think uh, if they're able to slow down UTSA they'll be able to play from ahead rather than playing from behind. I think Troy can get that done. So I'm going to take the Trojans uh, to win the Cure Bowl. We'll move on to the uh, Fenway Bowl out in Boston between Cincy and Louisville. Who do you like in that one? I think the Fenway Bowl is the bowl I'm most excited for that is not the Orange Bowl. And because I I feel like the Fenway Bowl is like straight out of like WWE. You've got Nine and three Cincinnati against seven and five Louisville. And if you hear that, you're like, well, what's so exciting about that? They are like former rivals from their days back in the Big East, like big rivalry. But that's not why it's exciting to me, anyways. And it shouldn't be exciting to you as like just like not a Cincy fan, not a Louisville fan, whatever. What is exciting is this has become the Scott Satterfield Bowl. Scott Satterfield left for Cincinnati from Louisville after Luke Fickle left Cincinnati to go to Wisconsin. So now you've got Louisville's old coach is now the head coach at Cincinnati. So there's lots of pent-up aggression. Louisville's going to be mad. It's like, you left us to go to these guys. What's going on here? And Louisville gets their guy, Jeff Brom, from Purdue, who's now their head coach, obviously won't be coaching this game. I think they're in a better situation now. And now it's just going to be – they're going to be playing to prove a point. I think both sides will be. Because, like, Cincinnati's going to be like, hey – Satterfield made the right choice coming here. Louisville's going to be like, you messed up. You should have stayed here. We were building something, blah, blah, blah. I, I think it's just all all the storylines with Satterfield, the new coaches, everything. I, I just think it's a lot of fun. Um, and to throw it on, to just make it even better, like the fire under the flame, they're on the same sideline. Like, if this game gets chippy, it might be must-watch. Like, I said, like, straight out, like, WWE. It's kind of, like, straight out of WWE. Like, everything, like, I don't know. It, I think this could be a really, really fun watch. Both teams, like, there's not, like, standout stars on either team. I talked about Cincinnati a couple weeks ago. They play good defense. Luke Fickle's not going to be on the sideline, though, so who knows? Same way with Louisville. Like, Louisville, they improved a ton this year. Scott Satterfield's not on the sideline, so who really knows? They have two common opponents from this year. Uh, They both played Central Florida, and they both played South Florida. Cincinnati lost to Central Florida 21-25. Louisville beat Central Florida 20-14. 
They both played South Florida. Uh, Cincinnati beat South Florida 28-24. Louisville beat South Florida 41-3. Wow, huge difference there. I think Louisville's more talented. I know Louisville went 7-5. Louisville was so weird this year. They had games where they didn't look good at all. And then you look at a game against like Wake Forest where they looked like the greatest defense ever, forcing like eight turnovers and like just running up the score. You really don't know what you're going to get. And I'm not crazy about Scott Satterfield. I, I don't want to dog on him, but I'm not crazy about his coaching style. So I'm curious what a new coaching style with this Louisville team is going to look like. Um, and I, I'm going to go with Louisville. I think they have a point to prove and saying, hey, you messed up. You left us. We've got something going here. We, we're better than what you think we are. You, we sh- you shouldn't be leaving us to go somewhere else. So I, I think Louisville's going to play with a lot of emotion and uh, get the win. So I'm going to go with the Cardinals to beat the Bearcats. Yeah, this game is very, very interesting. Down to even, you talked about the head coaching switches, but obviously, you know, Satterfield isn't taking the, the sidelines for Cincinnati. They've got uh, Kerry Coombs, who was Ohio State's defensive coordinator last year, who got run out of the building last year as their defensive coordinator. Louisville's got Dion Branch. <laughs> That's a, a much different. Kerry Coombs is like an older type traditional defensive guy, and Dion Branch is. Very much not that. He is <laughs> a young, I mean, I remember Deion Branch playing for the Patriots back uh, back in our younger days. So uh, he's going to bring something different to that Louisville team. I think the difference, though, uh, is that the Louisville quarterback opted out, Malik Cunningham. Uh, and I think that is going to be a really big difference. because it, I, it is so much different going into a bowl game without one of your starters, especially one of your do-it-all starters at quarterback. That I know... Uh, coaching is going to be a big difference, but they're both missing their head coaches. And I think when you're also missing your quarterback, uh, it's so much easier for teams to check out. And that's, we talked about it before the game uh, or before the podcast started. Uh, Bowl games are so hard to pick because you don't even know who's sitting out. Uh, You don't even know who's mentally there because a lot of guys go to those bowl games and they're really not even trying to, you know, they, they're really just there to finish off the season so they can get onto the next season. Uh, So I think Cincinnati, they're moving on to the Big 12. They're on a they're a program on the up, and and, and I feel like Louisville kind of got left in the dust more than anything. And they're kind of picking up the pieces of what Scott Satterfield did, rather, rather than um, you know Cincinnati, who obviously lost out, lost out on Luke Fickle, but I feel like they're still on the upswing. I'll give Cincinnati my pick uh, in this one because I just think uh, their program's just in a little bit better spot than uh, Louisville's is. So uh, give me the Bearcats in the Fenway Bowl. Moving on to Las, the Las Vegas Bowl, Florida and Oregon State. Uh, interesting here, SEC uh, team that didn't perform very well, Pac-12, Pac-12 team that much uh, over-exceeded expectations, uh, Florida without their star quarterback uh, and their backup quarterback. Dylan, who do you like in this one? This is a game, the Las Vegas Bowl. You got 6-6 six and six Florida, 9-3 and three Oregon State. Oregon State's like number 14 in the country, which is like, wow. Like, if we had a 12-team playoff, Oregon State's like right there. Like who like that's crazy. Um I I don't think anyone expected Oregon State to be this good, but do the little time machine, go back to our Pac-12 preview. I said, watch out for Oregon State. You never know. And what what do you see? Oregon State was pretty good. Nine and three. They had one common opponent this year, Utah. Florida beat Utah, and Utah beat the ever living hell out of Oregon State. That Utah loss was a turning point for Oregon State. I really believe that their defense turned it around after giving up 42 points to a Utah offense. Utah's offense is all right. It's not like explosive, like crazy or anything. And I really think they took that to really like hunker down. So I think it was like the second straight loss in a row or something like that. I don't know. I'd seen it previously. 
Um, and I really think they hunkered down. They ended up having a great season, only three losses. And um, I, I really think that they, they've got something there at Oregon State. Their defense is really, really good. They do a great job of forcing turnovers. They're one of the best in the country in forcing turnovers. I think that's going to play a huge factor in this game. In a game where Florida doesn't have their starting quarterback in Anthony Richardson, they don't have their backup quarterback. I, I think Oregon State, they have all – the um, they have all the things to win this game. They have everything going for them. Florida has all these problems. Oregon State has a good defense. They have a good running back in Damian Martinez, who's looking to go over 1,000 yards. He has seven touchdowns, 970 yards. But it's Florida. And it's like, this feels like a game, even though Oregon State's 9-3, and three, this feels like a game Florida wins. You know, like, it just feels like Florida's going to ruin this chance for Oregon State to win 10 games. But I'm going to still go with the Beavers. I think I think we're gonna can get it done. It's one of those like I'm going with my heart over my head. My head's telling me Florida like something crazy is gonna happen. Florida's third string quarterback or whatever is gonna come in and be incredible. But I'm gonna go with Oregon State. I, I think Florida's been kind of a mess the past month. They lost to Vanderbilt, which they should not have lost to Vanderbilt. They they lost to Florida State, a game that they probably should have won. I think their Florida State's like I, I like Florida State's team, and I'm sure we'll get into Florida State in a few weeks in picks. But um Florida had a chance to have a much better season than they did. And I, I think that's that's going to play a factor in this game, too. And Billy Napier big-time needs this win, and he's big-time not going to get this win because the Beavs are going to win the Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah, Florida is so interesting because you talk about that that win over Utah. I thought Utah was a playoff team. Without that loss to Florida, they might have been a playoff team had that, that not been the case. Uh, and they've looked you know, pretty good. Like, they, they – Gave Tennessee a fight, uh, only lost by five or whatever. Uh, but then, you know, you know they beat up on South Carolina. We found out it was actually a lot better than we thought they were. But, yeah, then you talk about losing to Vanderbilt, losing to Florida State, losing to LSU. Again, I don't think LSU was a good team. So I, I think that's a bad loss. So uh, I think it's tough to say what Florida is and, and really to expect what Florida is going to be on their third-string quarterback. Uh this is the big thing with bowl games is a lot of the times it is about trajectory of program more than it is about like what the level of talent is on your team. I've seen a lot of Michigan teams go out uh, and lose to teams that were frankly, not even as close talent wise as them just because uh, like, we didn't care about the bowl game. Like we, we had lost against Ohio state going in, we had much bigger aspirations and, and it's tough to go sit in the Las Vegas bowl against Oregon state and try to take that seriously against a program that you probably don't even take seriously yourself. You know, even though Oregon state is 14th ranked and, and they've done some good things. I'm sure there's a lot of kids on that Florida program. They're like, it's we're Florida. Like you said, we're Florida. We're at the sec. That's Oregon state. It's not even Oregon. Uh, but that's just more for Oregon State to believe and more Oregon State to, you know, kind of build on that. Uh, in a Pac-12 that we don't know who's going to be the top dog, what, I think I think a lot of these Pac-12 teams are going into the bowl season like, hey, let's prove ourselves to, to a lot of people. Let's show what the Pac-12 can be even without USC and UCLA. So, yeah, I'm on Oregon State completely. I think Florida just – especially – I don't know what that quarterback's going to look like. I told you uh, – you get down on these quarterback death charts. We we assume that every team is just loaded with guys ready to go, but th- you could really be in a world of hurt uh, when you're on your third string quarterback and what you can do offensively. So I like Oregon State. I think they're going to get it done and get a big win uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, that's going to do it from us on the Dylan Dylan Show this week. Any final thoughts, Dylan, before we get going? 
I do. While we were doing our picks, uh, some breaking news in my world. Jalen Hyatt has opted out of the Orange Bowl and he's going pro. And I, I'm really, really happy for him. I, I mentioned it during it during the show, talking about the Blitnikoff Award. We didn't know what he was going to do. And, hey, he, I think he heard me. He decided to make it his mind. I'm really, really happy for him. And I, I hope no one uh, questions his decision. He, he needs to go pro. I, I don't think he could have duplicated the season. If he could, that would be awesome. I, I don't think he could. If he wouldn't have had Hinton Hooker thrown in the ball, he had one of the best receiving seasons in Tennessee history, winning the Blitnikoff Award, 15 touchdowns. I mean, just absolutely incredible season. I'm so happy for Jalen. And it, it's cool having this feeling of being happy for players going pro rather than being upset. Cause it's like, Hey, you helped bring one of the best seasons in forever. So it's a really, really neat feeling and really, really, really excited for Jalen. Excited to see what he's going to do in the league. So yeah, that, I reckon that's all I got. Happy for Jalen. Go Vols. <laughs> all right. That's going to do it from us here at the Dylan, Dylan, Dylan and Dylan show. Here's where you can find us. You can find the show at Dylan and Dylan show on Twitter and Instagram. Tunnel Vision Sports on Instagram at Tunnel Vision Sports underscore. TikTok and Twitter underscore TV Sports. Facebook and LinkedIn at Tunnel Vision Sports. And on the web at TVSportsMag.com. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you all next week. See you later.